0: All right, Revelation 13. We were talking tonight and next week about really the the rise, as I've titled it, Rise of the Resistance. All I could think of is a Disney ride, right, Amelia? Yeah, it's a pretty cool ride, isn't it? Uh, But this resistance goes against Jesus Christ, and this is really the rise of the Antichrist. We talked about that great dragon who is Satan the last time we met, and now we're going to talk about the two other parts of his Counterfeit Trinity. Remember, everything that God has, everything that Jesus is, Satan tries to counter it. And really, it is a counterfeit. It is fake. It is not truth. So, tonight, we're going to talk about the Antichrist. And again, there's so much that we can talk about. And really, in chapter 13 of Revelation, it goes about and talks about the Antichrist as well as the rise of the false prophet. And really, it's one long message, but I've kind of broken it up. So we'll we'll hit on just the Antichrist tonight in the first 11, 10, 11 verses. And then next week, we will finish up talking about the false prophet. I'll try not to get ahead of myself because I actually broke it up into two different lessons and actually have the whole lesson ready for next week. So I'll try my hardest not to get ahead of myself with that. But in Revelation 13, 1, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it tonight. Revelation 13, 1, the Bible says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Again, John uh, telling us what he saw in his visions. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns, ten crowns. And upon his head, the name of blasphemy. Now, there's some of the things tonight we're not going to discuss yet. We'll get to it in future chapters. Just wanted to let you know that. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power. Again, who is the dragon? Satan. Satan. We have to understand that. Now, before I go on, it says the dragon gave him power. But what we have to realize is what we've talked about throughout this entire series. Who is the only one that can truly give power? God. God. So all power was given from God to Satan to then impart some of that power upon this counterfeit uh, part of the Trinity. We have to understand that as well. Uh, God allows certain things to happen. And again, it's all for his honor, all for his glory. So again, in in Revelation 13, 1, he describes this beast coming up out of the sea. And what we are going to learn, again, is that he will be given authority from Satan. He will be worshipped as a god. You okay, Nate? Okay, just talking very loud over there. Thank you. (laughs) Inside voice, okay. Thank you, that's much better. He will be worshiped as a God. The whole world will marvel as they follow him, but his reign of terror is short-lived. And we're not gonna go so far in depth tonight to try to unpack everything, because yet again, this is one of those chapters, there's a lot of speculation as to who is the Antichrist? And we'll, we'll reference that a little bit. I'm not going to try to throw out any names. Uh, I hope it's not someone in this room tonight. Um, Brother Mike and I were talking a little bit about it earlier. I'm going to have him probably say something a little bit later in the message to remind me in case I forget, which you, you might forget as well. But anyway, I'm letting everyone know just in case uh, a, a point of emphasis that we were talking about after school today kind of concerning all this. But let me just give you a couple things. It's not in your notes, but I think I have some slides Now, we often refer to this beast coming up out of the sea as the Antichrist, but contrary to most people's understanding, the name Antichrist, or the word Antichrist, does not appear a single time in the book of Revelation. How many knew that? All right, two people. Very good. All right, awesome. Three people. Do I have four? Four. Do I have five? Now, okay, Logan, you knew that. Jordan's like, I kind of knew it, but Logan's like, I got it. I know everything. Very good. School is working. Now, he is referred to that in Scripture, and we're going to talk about that. So I think I have a slide up here, guys. Uh, So other places in Scripture, this beast coming up out of the sea is referred to as, first of all, the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. Now, a lot of revelation can tie to Old Testament prophecy. So let's go ahead and go back to Daniel chapter 7, if you would. I'm not going to go, again, great depth into this tonight, but I just want to read a couple of these things because I think it's really going to help us in our understanding of this chapter, of chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. So Daniel chapter 7, I think I have it up there. It says uh, verse number 8. This is part of Daniel's vision. Let me start in verse number 7. And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had a great had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet of off of it and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns i considered the horns and behold there came up among them another little horn this is a reference to this great beast or the antichrist as we often refer to him as before whom there were 3 of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold in his horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things and again daniel goes on talking about this and it's an amazing study just studying the book of Daniel, the 70th week and Daniel's visions. Again, I, I wish I had more time to dive into that, but that's not what I'm trying to do in this study. So, first and foremost, he is referred to as little horn. Second thing, he is the prince who came. So if you're still in Daniel, you maybe not be, but in Daniel chapter 9, verse number 26. Uh, verse number nine, or chapter 9, verse number 26, it says, And after three score and two weeks. Uh, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come, that sh- shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof uh, there should be a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Really, this is kind of in reference to the abomination of desolations that we're going to refer to next week. Another place in Scripture, he's mentioned as the lawless one. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it's the next slide there, guys. Good job. The lawless one or the man of sin. And then uh, let's go to first John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Having you skip around just a little bit tonight. It's good for you. First John chapter number 4, verse number 3. First John 4 3, it says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. So this is one of the references of Antichrist. The thing, again, a lot of times we think of Revelation, oh, Antichrist is mentioned. Well, that name specifically is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. But the spirit of Antichrist is talked about here in first in John chapter four, verse three, whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. Now, this is very interesting, and this is where I'll get to Mike in just a second. So understand what it's talking about here, the spirit of Antichrist. This isn't the whole lesson tonight, but someone just, I guess, I don't know if it's amusing me or whatever, but somebody tell me or what, what you think this verse is talking about, or what What do you think this verse means? Verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 John, let me read it again, it's up there on the screens, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So anybody want to just take a stab of what you think this is talking about? Ooh, all right, kids. We'll start with me, and then we'll go to Jocelyn. Um, like people, aren't to God. people aren't confessing to God. Okay, it's a good, good stab. It's good. Jocelyn? When Jesus comes, everyone will know and praise Him. Well, there's other references to that. Good good try. Good try. Anybody else? Huh. Julie? I think that is talking about that if you don't confess, even though you know that He has already come, you should be stubborn. You don't All right, say that again. You just confused me. of like, people that don't want to confess, even though they know that He has already come. Okay, people that don't want to confess knowing He's already come. Okay, Adam. Okay. Yeah. things becoming more acceptable, more prevalent
1: in culture nowadays that
0: weren't Exactly. I think that's good. That's good. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to Mike on this one because it kinda goes to what we talked about, right? Exactly. So um here's just give you a mic so people can hear and even online. Where's a mic for Mike? Give Mike a mic. Oh, thank you so much. Do you already have a mic? Do I want some what? Oh sure, I'll take a cheese it. Oh thank you, it's exactly what I need as I teach tonight. Hearing aid, I apologize. Turn that one off on too. There we go. All
1: right. All right. Ooh, I think. Maybe. Okay, so um, I had a uh, a pastor, and I don't remember exactly which one it is, uh, which one it was, but there was uh, a pastor referencing this. We were talking about the Antichrist, and this is while we were in California. My wife and I were in California. But, uh, but he mentioned that uh, Satan doesn't know when Christ is coming. Um, but after the rapture is when... You know, there's not enough time to raise somebody from, you know, child to Antichrist between that time. So uh, the spirit of Antichrist, you know, John references that it's already here. Um, and, and so there's, there's the general spirit of Antichrist, people that don't confess that Christ is, is the Lord, people that don't believe that he's, that he's, uh, uh, that he's God. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a general push against Christ. But then there is the spirit of Antichrist. Um, it says you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And uh, and so he said that it possibly could be that that Satan in every age has somebody lined up to take the the point of the Antichrist uh, because he doesn't know when when all of this is going to happen. So he's all throughout you know. So throughout the ages, there, there's been people saying you know, well Hitler was you know was going to be the Antichrist, or Stalin was going to be Antichrist, or. Uh, whatever president you want to name um, <laughs> is gonna be the antichrist. You know, and so so which which may be true, you know, to some extent that may have, that those people, that person or whatever may have been part of Satan's plan that if Christ came during the 1940s or 1930s, that <coughs> Hitler or Stalin would have been the Antichrist. But you know, yeah. so that's that's kind of what we're
0: talking about. No, I, I think that was good. And especially that that point, you know, I, I've talked about it before, but I think again sometimes we give Satan too much credit. Thinking that He is omniscient, which omniscient means all-knowing. But there is only one that is all-knowing. Who is that? It's God. Only God knows all things. And even though we have his word in front of us, you think about Revelation. We've studied a lot, but there is a lot of mystery still in Revelation that we'll never understand until it is eventually fulfilled. But it was a great thought as he was talking about that, that That pastor, I think in California, told him that I think in every generation there has been a spirit of Antichrist And really, we have to understand what Antichrist means. It comes from the Greek Antichristos, which means one who is against Christ. There has always been people that have raised up against Christ, or it means this, one who is in the place of Christ. And you think about that. In every generation, there have been someone, either men or women, that have been against Christ or tried to take the place of Christ. And I'm going to reference a few of those individuals here in just a minute, but I think it was a good thought that. Satan does not know everything. Again, we give him more credit than he deserves. Everything that he has has been given to him by his, by his father, who is God. And, and, and again, it, it just it, it, I think it was a, a great aspect and a great thought to understand that. But here's the truth that I want to really try to unpack tonight. Oftentimes, when disaster strikes, mankind looks for a savior. Every generation, it's always happened. Whenever disaster strikes, mankind looks for a savior. And you think about it, even in America, the disaster of 2020 and the pandemic, you know, every four years, we have an election with the president. So in some way, we look to the new president to be the savior, at least for one party, right? It's the savior of America. He's finally going to unite us all. Well, that's not true because that's not going to happen. But in every generation, when a disaster strikes, mankind always looks for a savior. So think about what we talked about thus far. Everything that's happened up until this really almost the half point of the tribulation, this is kind of going backwards and kind of, it, it, again, it's interesting, chapter 12 and 13 kind of going backwards to then go forwards. But everything we talked about, all the disaster, all the destruction that has taken place, of course, the world is going to look for some savior to come to rule, to reign, to, to help make sense of this. And when we get to chapter 13, verse number one, as John stands on the sea, he sees this beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Again, this beast is an anti Messiah. He is in war against Christ, even as he attempts to replace the true Christ. Now, it's an important thing to understand that this concept of Antichrist is multifaceted. Another thing that I have, I think, for you as well, it's not in your notes, I just put a slide together. There are four things that we see in the Bible about this spirit or idea of antichrist. First of all, in Revelation 13 and 17, it's talking about an evil empire or a political power. If you want to write these things down, go ahead, feel free. An evil empire or a political power. Uh, Second thing is sometimes a past and present impersonal force, force or presence or spirit uh, that evil spirit of this age as First John 4 already alluded to. A third thing, and again, if you can't get all these down, you can see me afterwards and I'll give you the notes. The third thing is this, a literal person who are forerunners of the final Antichrist. First John chapter 2 references that as well. And I think it kind of goes to what Mike was just talking about, that in every generation there has been those that have stood against Christ. You think about even when the Christians were alive during the time of the Bible and the New Testament. You had the evil Emperor Nero, and I'm sure for some of them, they thought, this has to be the Antichrist. He is so much against Christ, this has to be the one. Well, he was an Antichrist, which means someone that is against Christ, but he is not the final Antichrist. The fourth thing is this, it is the final and climactic embodiment of satanic power and opposition to God in a person. Revelation 13, 1 through 10 then discusses this. And there is a fluidity and even overlap, especially in this chapter, where the beast, the Antichrist, at times seems to be both a political empire as well as a person. You know, this is not unusual. You think of evil Nazi Germany. Who do you think of when you think of Nazi Germany? Who do you think of? You think of Hitler. You don't just think of the the nation as as itself. You also think of their leader at that time. Uh, When you think of the founding of America... Who often do you think of with the founding of America? George Washington. George Washington. Yes, he was our first president. I'm not saying he was an antichrist, but again, throughout history, many candidates have risen from the ranks and pronounced, been pronounced as coming antichrist. I want to read just something quickly, kind of by way of introduction tonight. Bernard McGinn, in his book Antichrist, 2,000 Years of Human Fascination with Evil, catalogs some must of the history. Listen to what he says. He said, there are also Old Testament types in men like Pharaoh, or Nebuchadnezzar, or Cyrus, and in the intertestamental Antiochus Epiphanes. Then the parade begins. Notable suggestions, and you know Mike referenced some of these. Notable suggestions include Nero, Domitian, Constantine, Charlemagne, Napoleon, uh, even Martin Luther, Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler, Gorbachev, uh, Jimmy Carter, Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan. Um, Saddam Hussein, Barack Obama, Pat Robertson, numerous other people, even you know <laughs> Donald Trump. Other people have been named as Antichrist. In fact, it's it's interesting, even religious leaders were named as an Antichrist. People like Luther and Calvin and Cotton Mather and John Knox and Cramer, because they stood against the establishment and were really trying to follow the Bible, so they were like, oh, you're, you're completely off target there. John Wesley, Roger Williams all have been identified as the Antichrist, as well as the Pope in many different facets with that. But the truth is, there have been a lot of different individuals who are Antichrist, which means, again, against Christ. And again, we're not going to then name an individual who we think it is tonight. What we're going to try to do is try to give some understanding of who the Antichrist will be or what he will come to do. And really, those people are going to the people at the end times are going to get their wish because they're going to be wishing for that powerful, charismatic leader that is going to unite the world. And finally, it's going to be united, but under a false dichotomy. And Revelation 13 is really this long parenthesis, this interlude that goes back to chapter number 10. We have this beast of the sea in the first part and then the, the false prophet in the second part. And really what we see here is this is a counterfeit or a pseudo trinity, Because again, Satan counterfeits God the Father. Everything that God the Father does, Satan tries to counterfeit. Antichrist counterfeits God the Son. The false prophet counterfeits God the Holy Spirit. So again, he tries to have his own trinity, but it's a pseudo trinity. So let's go ahead and jump into the notes tonight. First of all, we see this. Satan works to advance his kingdom. Satan works to advance his kingdom. Always has, always will. The sea was often associated with... Evil in the ancient world, and was oftentimes known as the reservoir of chaos. But also the sea, when it says here that a beast rising up out of the sea, the sea represents and symbolizes, as many commentaries believe, the excuse me, the Gentile nations of the world. So what this is saying is that the Antichrist, the one of the, the, the leaders with, the, with Satan, the dragon, is going to come out of the Gentile nations. He will be a Gentile. And again, this is the antithesis of God the Father who had his chosen people who were Jews. Verse number one, it says he had seven heads and ten horns. This speaks of his great power, his authority. But it also points to Revelation chapter 17, 9, and it also points to, we're going to talk about that when we get there, so stay tuned, but it points to Rome. With the seven, uh, the heads, it kind of points to Rome and the Roman government. But the ten horns, just quickly, briefly, represent a ten-nation confederacy. This is also mentioned back in Daniel chapter seven, verses seven and eight. We read verse eight earlier, but Daniel chapter seven, verses seven and eight. What the Antichrist, this beast of the sea, is going to do? He is going to form sort of a unified league of nations. Now. It's very easy, again, to speculate within this great book, to think of who are these 10 nations that are going to come together. Now, here's the truth. It is impossible for us to decipher that right now because the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I just went blank. Um, The rapture hasn't occurred. And once the rapture has taken place, I think the whole world scene is going to shift, even countries of what they look like today and what they're going to look like then. But what we do know is that Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to form a ten-nation confederacy that he will rule, he will be in charge of. But at the end of verse number one, it says that upon his heads, the name of blasphemy, the name of blasphemy. So what, what this is saying is this. He will openly blaspheme, which means go against, the name of God. The Antichrist will be a very charismatic leader. He will be easily liked and admired by nearly all of the world. He is going to be an all-around genius. The world is going to be in such turmoil that he'll be able to solve all the world's problems because the people will exalt him and bow down and basically do whatever he says. And we're already seeing that in our generation where people just are drawn to certain individuals. Now, this individual will have... You know, charisma like none other in history. But a couple things to note about his genius. First of all, he'll be an intellectual genius. Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 references that. Second thing, he will be an oratorical master, which means a master of words. He's not going to stumble around. He'll know how to speak and speak well. Third thing, he will be a political genius. Revelation 17, 11 through 13 talks about that. The fourth thing, and the last thing of all these typically is genius, so you can just write that in there. He'll be an intellectual genius, an oral, or, 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 ah, radical, oratorical. See, I, I'm not even that guy, so don't worry, I'm not the Antichrist. He'll be an oratorical master, a political genius, a commercial genius. Daniel chapter 11 references that. He'll also be a military genius, being able to put all the military together in that 10 leagues of nations. And then Revelation thirteen eight describes him as a religious genius. So this guy, he's pretty impressive to say the least. But verse number two, we continue on. And the beast which I saw was like unto, again, remember that John uses a lot of metaphors, comparison. He's, he's trying to explain things to really his generation, but every generation in a way that they would understand it. So he's using metaphors, similes, comparisons. This beast, which I saw, was like unto a leopard. Now, all of these three are referencing a nation as well. And I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute. But it says, like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power. But who gave the dragon power? God. And his seat and great authority. Now, the Antichrist, really, what John is telling us, is going to be a human monster. John is basically describing him as a predator. And each of these um, animals are representative of other nations throughout history. And what we see here is that, well, let me, let me make a quick note. Many believe, so, all right, there's so, much, there's so much in here in my mind tonight. Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 8, gives us this same picture, but it's in reverse order. Now, many believe it's in reverse order from Daniel versus in Revelation because John is looking at this in the past while Daniel is looking at it in the future. So that's why they kind of overlap a little bit. But anyway, so when it says like a leopard, it's talking about ancient Greece. Alexander the Great conquered the known world within 12 years, which is just astounding when you think about it. It's an amazing study of ancient history. But that speaks and shows of the swiftness and the agility of this empire. When it says he's like unto a bear, that is referencing ancient Medo-Persia and the ancient Medo-Persian empire. This is depicting the ancient kingdom's ferocity and strength and stability in the form of a bear. And then where it says, like a lion, that is referencing Babylon, which we kind of talked a little bit about on Sunday in our Habakkuk series. This is talking about Babylon's majesty and fierce, all-consuming power. So that's the first thing we see. Again, there's so much to unpack here, so stay with me. So again, Satan works to advance his kingdom through this beast coming from the sea, his anti-Christ, against Christ. And then we continue on, verse number three. Satan desires to be worshipped like God because everything that God has, Satan wants. And that's why... Even he tried to make Jesus himself bow down to worship him when Jesus was in the wilderness and fasting alone. But verse three tells us, look at this verse, it says, and I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. So basically sometime during this, it's going to give the appearance, whether it actually happens or not, give the appearance that He is going to die, but then miraculously be healed, as if there is no fatal wound or anything. In verse number four, and this is what the dragon Satan wants. And they worshiped who? The dragon. Now, again, in our minds, we're thinking, okay, they're going to worship a little dragon? That's just weird. No, again, it's just, it's referenced that John is just using this imagery to help us understand the nature of this, this person, this individual. And they worship the dragon. Which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, who is Antichrist, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Again, this is kind of in reference to even Jesus Christ. But again, verse 3 tells us that he appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed, leading the whole world to be amazed and follow this. Again, much speculation on this passage. But remember, everything God does, Satan wants to do. But what Satan does is not the truth. We have to understand that. What Satan does is not the truth. It is counterfeit. And again, I'm not saying this individual isn't dead, but we have to understand he is the counterfeit Christ. He is not Christ. So whatever it is that takes place when the Antichrist rises to power, remember it's you know, towards the start of the tribulation, people will be in wonder and awe and amazement at this great spectacle that just took place. The whole world then will begin to submit to his authority. When we've already referenced this, he signs this peace treaty with with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation. And then at the midpoint of the tribulation, which we'll see in a couple weeks, that's when he breaks that covenant. And then really, literally all hell breaks loose. Now, this divine worship is now going to be substituted for devil worship. Idolatry of the most terrible sort Imaginable now is going to blanket the world. Who is this, or who is like this beast, where it says in verse number four, who is likened to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This is a parody of the acclamation of Yahweh or God. Exodus chapter 8, Exodus 15, Psalm 71. One of my commentaries, Osborne, he said, God alone is incomparable, and the best once more is usurping what belongs only, or sorry, the beast, once more, is usurping what belongs only to God. Chuck Swindoll is very insightful as usual at this point. He says, how like Satan, the one who disguises himself as an angel of light will provide the world with a copycat Christ to match all their man-centered ideals of personality, of politics, and power. Again, Satan has always desired to be like God and worship like him, he always has, always will. And during this time, much of the world will bow down and worship, because they believe that our Savior has finally come. And it's just an amazing study when you think about it. Amazing thing to think about. And even when we talk about the false prophet next week, which is the religious leader getting all of the religions of the world to unite again, you think about how how is that even possible? Again, we'll just wait for next week. I'm, getting ahead of myself. All right, let's continue on. Verse number five, Satan will be given power for a short time. Satan will be given power for a short time. And there was given unto him. Again, we've seen this referenced over and over in Revelation. Who was the one that gave him power? God. God. Good job. God was giving power to Satan. Why would God do this? Well, there's an end goal here with everything. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So God gave power to Satan to then give it to his counterfeit trinity. And a mouth was given to the Antichrist, basically to be the, the megaphone of, the, or, uh, of Satan and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to content you 40 and two months or three and a half years. Verse number six, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God. Everything he said went against God. Now, again, quick reference point, interesting note. A couple chapters earlier, we talked about the two witnesses that are going to be standing outside the temple, you know, basically for three and a half years and preaching against the Antichrist. And basically, he's going to be using this time to preach against them and preach against Christ. You know, what a spectacle. So, verse number six again, uh, to blaspheme his name in the tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven, verse number seven, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints, the Christians, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. But again, this is a short period of time. As it says, 42 months, which which is just three and a half years. You know, the beast during this time will blaspheme God and his tabernacle and his saints. He will turn the world and Christians... Um, or he he will turn the world against Christians. And everything he says is in direct contradiction to God's word, which is the truth. Verse number seven, it tells us that he is permitted to make war against the saints. You know, some of the saints or Christians are going to be captured during this time and martyred, killed for their belief. But because of their faith, they won't deny Christ, despite persecution and imminent death. And the more I studied this, the more I read it, the more, honestly, it convicts me. It convicts me, and honestly, it brings shame to me because of their apparent boldness and my lack of boldness at times, that I am willing to deny Christ or not speak up for Christ in moments where I'm not being persecuted. And really, many of us could attest to that. And yet, during these last days, it's gonna get so much worse than it is right now Many of us can't even speak up right now, but during these end times, these Christians are still going to proclaim that Jesus is God, that he is the son of the most high, and they're going to live for him. They're going to be faithful to him, and yet many of us can't even be faithful to him at all. I mean, it's hard for us to even be faithful to him for a day, honestly, for a week, for two weeks, for for a month. Again, I'm guilty of this as well. We fall back into old habits and old lifestyles and old sins. Most of us do that, if not all of us. Your old habits might be different than my old habits, but we all tend to drift backwards because we lose focus of who's in charge. We lose focus of Jesus. We get our eyes off of him. We continue on, verses eight through 10. What we see is this. Jesus' followers will persevere even as they suffer. And it's just an amazing thing when you think about it. Verse number eight, in all that dwell upon the earth, Shall worship him. This is not Christians, but all those that dwell upon the earth that are not saved are going to worship him, the dragon, whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9, John is kind of giving his readers a warning here. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So all who live on earth during the time of tribulation that are not children of God, that have not gotten saved during that time, will worship Satan. But again, there's another group. Ones that follow the authentic lamb. And the book of life of the lamb that was slain is the book that contains the names of the redeemed. Verse number nine and 10, really it's an invitation to but really for all of us, for every generation, to pay attention. I think John is giving us a warning. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Listen to what I'm saying, because the application is so vital in any generation throughout history. Yes, he was writing to specific readers in the first century and what they were going through, through Nero and other, you know, just treacherous leaders. But the invitation, the warning is for all of us today, 2,000 plus years later. Don't let this go in one ear and out the other. This, you see, this is emphasizing the most important truth of what's to come. It's not a fairy tale. It's a reality. It's a call for all of us to listen. And in verse number 10, it's, it's kind of enigmatic. It's, it's almost mysterious for, for many. There's a lot of skepticism and a lot of, a lot of people that struggle with this verse. verse but what I believe that it is, I believe it's a call for endurance and faithfulness. David Platt says, he says, it is and it will be costly to follow Christ in this world. And we'll see that a little bit more next week as we study the false prophet. But it is and and will be costly to follow Christ in this world. But don't compromise. Even if it means you're being slain, hold fast to your faith. Even if it means you lose your job, you lose your money, hold fast to your faith. Even if it means ridicule, oppression, isolation, imprisonment or death, hold fast to your faith and follow the lamb. And one day you will stand with him. You will sing with him. You will be satisfied completely in him. And I think David Platt makes a great argument there. That yes, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be turmoil, but do not compromise your faith. And again, who in here has probably compromised our faith? Many of us at times. For one reason or another, and again, I'm not making light of our situation and our circumstances and what we go through. All of us go through rough patches. All of us go through turmoil. All of us go through circumstances that are beyond our comprehension. We, I, I, I get that. But as, as, as Platt is saying and so many other preachers and even myself, stay strong. Stay strong to God and his word. Be faithful to him. And as we'll see even next week in the false prophet, with the the false Christ, the antichrist, the false prophet, there are always those that go against Christ. So you have to know for sure what you believe and why you believe it. That is why it's so fundamental to be in church, but not just to be in church, but to listen, but also to be in God's word for yourself, to study it so that you know what the truth is, so that you don't believe the lies of the counterfeit, and the spirit of antichrist that is even in the world today again we can talk about in the political scene how there is such a divide between what is truth and what is false so think about how much more magnified it's going to be in the end times but even in, even in the christian circle and, and there's something i'm going to reference next week you know even even in other churches that have god's word like we do have completely gone astray and completely twisted Scripture to say what they wanted to say. Uh, I'll reference this next week. I don't have it with me. I've got it in my notes for for next time. But uh, Lee Davis, he sent me something from a United Methodist bishop. It's It's a lady, but she's she's an openly gay. She's lesbian, and she just basically just blasphemed Jesus. And basically, it's like since Jesus, you know, changed from his, you know, hypocrisy and bigotry and all that kind of stuff, then we can change too. I was just like, seriously? That's what's being preached in churches. It blows your mind, but then at the same time, it's like, that's how the world's going to come together, and this religions are all going to come together as one, those that are left. But that's why it's so important to know what we believe and why we believe it. And again, those that have kids and grandkids, teach your kids and grandkids the truth, the truth of God's word. Even everything that's going on in the culture, it's very easy to think, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And again, we we tend to celebrate people, right? Well, what we should celebrate is the truth. That's what we should celebrate, right? We should celebrate people that are doing things for God. But what we do too often is we celebrate people that aren't doing things for God. Not saying you shouldn't, you know, you know, have people that you like or you know even emulate at times. But you know, I, I think about growing up. Again, I love sports, and you know, just there was that that desire to emulate certain sports stars. But my parents were good at helping me understand that, okay, it's one thing to to emulate or copy certain things about what they do in their profession of how they throw a football or how they shoot the basketball. But don't copy their life because most of those people are wicked beyond the, you know, to the core. But a lot of times we like, especially in the culture we live today, it's not that big of a deal. These kids, it's not that big of a deal. They can watch whatever they want. No, they, they shouldn't. We should monitor that. We should and and whatever they're watching, if they're saying something that goes against God's word, parents use that as an opportunity to teach your kids. But here's the here's the reality. Most of us don't even know God's word, so we can't even teach them the truth. And really, again, shame on me, shame on us. I don't want my son and my sons to to raise up in a to be raised up in a godless culture. I mean, it's happening. That's why men and I are talking about it today. That's why we have to do the best that we can as parents to raise up the next generation of Daniels, the next generation of Esther's, the next generation of Ruth's, the next generation of, of Nehemiah's and Habakkuk's that serve God, that want to live for God in the midst of a godless culture. It's our job, parents and grandparents, to do what we can to speak the truth. And what we see in this passage and again, oh man, I can't wait till next week because it, it kind of wraps it up together. So please be back in your place for that. But Satan's Antichrist is coming, but so is God's Christ, the Lord Jesus. And listen, it's not a matter of will you worship. The question is who will you worship? And it really comes down to this you'll either worship the lamb that was slain. Jesus, or you'll worship the dragon and his beast. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground in the Christian life. You're either with Christ or you're against him, so what's your choice? I like what John Piper says about Revelation. He said the main point of the book of Revelation is that Christ wins in the end and that you have to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life so that you don't get any mark on you. That belongs to this beastly power. And here's the key truth that we close with. The dragon will do his best to imitate Christ, but only one will stand victorious in the end, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, that's what we take from Revelation. Again, it all points back to Jesus. It all points back to the gospel. And again, there are some scary things coming in the next couple chapters as it really The final three and a half years, the tribulation are just like poured out upon us in just a couple chapters. But again, take hope. Our living hope is alive, Jesus Christ. So yes, the world and Satan has always had a counterfeit. But stay true to what you believe and what you know to be true. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed tonight.